Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. Tonight we have the amazing alternative metal band Raw coming on. And shortly, Sahaj will be calling in the singer from the band. So this is just going to be an awesome show tonight. We are promoting their album that will be out on October 15th, titled Critical Mass. And personally, we will be talking about it throughout the show. It is just phenomenal. So everyone has got to pick this album up. So let me just uh, tell people a little bit about my show, and then I'll do an introduction for Raw and uh, bring him on. So tonight, they're going to be joining. And again, it is just such a pleasure, all the bands that I've had the opportunity to interview and promote. They'll be joining Soil tonight, Eve to Adam, I Empire, otherwise Art of Dying, Candlelight Red, and so many others. So please, everyone, just support these bands, support the guests on my show, check out the podcast. The podcasts are available to download and stream on my show. So the concept of my show, I started it, I can't believe it's been a couple of years now. Um, I started a couple of years ago because I really wanted to create a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to support them, promote them, and help them get their name out there. A little bit about myself. Um, my background is in clinical psychology. That's what I have my doctorate degree in. And I just really enjoy interviewing people. But, of course, in a professional way, my show is only meant for entertainment purposes. There's no formal therapy being done. My other passion is entertainment. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter with an album out. I do some writing for some entertainment magazines, and I thought the best thing that I could do would be combining all of my skills that I just enjoy uh, bringing together and creating a forum to support people. So on my show, you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. Um, I just kindly request, I want my guests to definitely feel down-to-earth, be able to talk about whatever they'd like, but if they're going to review reveal any types of uh, embarrassing or humiliating stories, and we're definitely a fan of comedy on my show, to just keep any identifying information, such as names and things like that, anonymous, because we don't want to personally embarrass or humiliate anyone. So if you're tuning in right now, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. I do have a chat room open, but because I'm a one-person show, I'm going to be predominantly focused on the interview. If you want to call in tonight, the, the number is 805 243 1320, I have all that information available in the chat room as well as information about Raw. So let me introduce them and then I will uh, bring Sahaj on. And let me just check into the switchboard here. Okay. So I've been a fan of Raw ever since I heard some of their earlier music, which all of you who are fans of them will know. Their hit singles they had, Do You Call My Name, Fallen Angels, Don't Turn Away, and Broken Hearted Soul, to name a few. This band formed in the early, not early actually, kind of like mid-late 90s. Um, I did a lot of research on these guys yesterday. And personally to me, from everything I've read about them, they have truly illustrated over the years what true musical dedication, motivation, and perseverance can lead to in a challenging and difficult industry. Um, These guys have put out, now this is going to be their sixth album, Critical Mass, that will be coming out. And uh, they really have continued to be personally to me, and I think to the fans of these people out there, a driving force in the world of hard rock and metal music. Um, A consistent element that most people know about Raw is that their music really combines so many different types of uh, 
music such as rock and jazz and funk, but they really keep the heavy quality while not losing the melody. And I think that is what is key to who Ra is, especially with Sahaja's just amazing voice. I mean, I can't get enough of this guy's voice. I just literally worked out to this album before I got prepared to do the show. So tonight we're going to feature the hit single, Super Mega Dud Step, which is currently out and played on all terrestrial and uh, satellite radio stations. We're also going to feature another single off the album so people can really get a taste of what they're in for. But again, I have to really just again hone in on people really need to pick up Critical Mass. It's going to be out October 15th, and I am just extremely confident that this album is going to have huge success for these guys. So for more information, check these guys out. Go to rawband.net. We're going to now take you on the musical journey of Raw. As I said, I could probably do a three-hour interview with uh, Sahaj, but unfortunately, he probably doesn't have that much time. Neither do I tonight. But we're going to take you on a really cool journey. We're going to really get you to learn about who they are as a band. My interviews are not your typical interviews. I really hone in on the history of the band and uh, really incorporate some interesting facts so people can get a, a different view on an interview style. All right, so without further ado, because I've done enough, I think, now, let me bring on Sahaj. Hey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. First of all, how are you feeling? Pretty good. I had uh, yeah? I tore, an, I tore my Achilles heel playing racquetball, so I'm having some oh. a couple days ago. Okay, well, I hope you're feeling better. I saw your post and stuff, so... Definitely been thinking about it, and I'm sure all the fans out there too have you in their thoughts. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been quite the ordeal. I'm still working, so I'm like in the studio with this giant boot on my foot. It's kind of, kind of oh funny. gosh, <laughs> wow. And just uh, and we'll definitely talk about it later in the show. Your studio is just this is a private studio that you have where you basically produce and do everything for bands. Yeah, I mean I'm. The funny thing is I decided at one point that I was going to, you know, include production and, and start composing and writing um, for other bands and for other artists a few years ago. So I decided I would move to Los Angeles with the intention of getting, you know, being busier. And, uh, you know, it's definitely one of those circumstances where you are you have to be careful what you wish for because now I am literally inundated with work on top of the stuff that we're doing with the band, and it's been pretty it's been pretty crazy. But I but I really enjoy what I do because I'm able to do not just rock all the time. I'm actually in the pro- in the process right now of doing a Swedish pop group, and it's it's just as much fun wow. as doing a metal, a metal band. You know, it's it's awesome stuff where you where you can kind of express parts of yourself that you don't get to express if you're you know if you're only doing one style of music. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're out on the West Coast. You're not on the East Coast. No, I grew up on in New York. Um, I lived in New Jersey okay. for a while, but I, I now moved. I live in Los Angeles now. Okay, I got you. I did read about that yesterday when I was reading the information. I was like, oh, I hope he's still in New Jersey because that's where I'm from. But unfortunately, you're not. You're out. Uh, you're out in the West. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I love Jersey though. I used to go down the shore all the time. It actually bummed me out when I read about all the fires and the and the damage from Sandy and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy down here, definitely. Well, let's get into uh, talking about you and um, the journey you guys have been on as in a band and get to where you guys are today. So, tell me a little bit just about yourself growing up. What were you like? When did you start to develop an interest in music? Um, I come from a, an entertainment family. Everybody in my family has or or still is involved in the movie business. 
and I have okay. no idea why I decided I was going to be in the music business when they were all successful in the movie business. I guess I just had to be different. So um, I, I, I've been singing since I'm five years old. I've always liked singing. I've always l- attracted myself to um, a lot of, uh, I, I would say at the age of 10, I was already obsessed with fairly complex music. You know, I was really into fusion jazz, but I didn't know it was fusion jazz. I liked a group called Return Forever, which was uh, Stanley Clark, uh, Chikoria, Al Demiola, and Lenny White. And I just, I just loved it. Like, I just thought it was the most visual uh, music I'd ever heard and I just loved stuff like that. I also really liked Peter Gabriel and the police and I was really obsessed with things that um music that that seemed to transport me, you know, that that made mm-hmm. me feel like I was in another location when I was listening to it. Um and you know, those were the very very first things that kind of colored the way I listened to stuff. I mean, Without a doubt, Sting is is by far my biggest influence in terms of, wow. of writing and 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 singing and everything else. But um, Prince and Paul McCartney are probably uh, right behind him. And then uh, you know later when I got out of junior high school, uh, I was exposed to Metallica, and they they kind of became uh, my my doorway into metal and into hard rock and stuff like that. Cool, cool. So growing up as a kid, did you just envision yourself doing music? Is that something you were kind of set out to do? Or did you have ideas? Did you want to go to school and, you know, have a backup plan? What was, tell us a little bit about you as you go through, like you said, junior high, high school, and kind of transition. Well, the weird thing about the way I kind of made my decisions was um, I had been pushed uh, probably in junior high school. I had been pushed very early on to um, to sing in glee club and things like that because I had a natural gift. But um, for the most part, I kind of rebelled against it. I didn't like the attention. I didn't like being put in the spotlight. And that kind of translated all the way until I went to high school. Um, I was a pretty good painter and artist, so I actually went to LaGuardia High School for the arts in New York City, but I actually went as an art student, not as a musician, but through a friendship, through a very good friend of mine, um, I actually found a passion for music and found a desire, but I actually started fairly late. I started playing guitar when I was 18 and um, really liked, really loved the feel of it and got into it really quickly. I really loved um, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and and all of those great, you know, solo guitar players, right. Alan Haldsworth, Eric Johnson, all that stuff. So I got really involved with the guitar world for like three or four years to the point where I was pretty good at it. And then um, slowly but surely it just turned into, you know, pursuing a band uh, thing. I mean, I really didn't decide to do music full time uh, until 1996, in which case I just, I was like, this is, you know, this is going to be what I do from now on. And, you know, it was very wow. quick. I got a record deal very soon. It was on a small indie label, and then I got another one after that on another indie that was a little bit bigger. And then a few years later, we ended up getting our deal on uh, on Universal. So it was, you know, I, I feel like it was one of the one of the rare cases where we actually went out, developed the band, found a sound, and got a record deal. You know, it doesn't happen like that every once and every time nowadays. But it was kind of cool to, you know prove our you know prove our merit by going to places and actually showing uh you know labels that we had uh value on the air and also in sales and things like that. 
Right. Well, let's and let's digress a little bit. Did you um with the vocals and the guitar work and stuff like that? Did you take any lessons, or are you just pretty much self-trained? Well, the guitar player that I originally started with, and I played bass and sang. So the guitar mm-hmm. player that I originally started with was amazing. He was just an incredible a guy named Nandi Johannes, and he was he was an unbelievably great guitar player. So I kind of just through osmosis learned how to play guitar from him. And then once I got decent at, at what we were doing, and he showed me whatever tricks he had, I just kind of dove headfirst into the whole Joe Satriani, Steve Steve Vai world, um, and really got you know and got proficient on my own as far as vocally. I never really took any lessons, no. And there was certainly a, wow. a long period in time where uh, you probably would have listened to any of my demos and it, you would have just been like, wow, he just sounds like Sting, Sting, Sting. I mean, there was years where I was frustrated because every demo I did was like, yeah, it's really good, but it sounds like Sting. And so <laughs> I kind of wow. I kind of had to find a little bit of, of something of my own over over time. But, you know, once it came to the late 90s, I think I had kind of figured out what my voice was. Definitely. I mean, again, as I said in the intro for you know, before I brought you on, your voice is just—it's just amazing, and it just—it's so original and so unique. And it just every time I listen to the music, I mean, it just—it just pulls you in, and it kind of takes you away from whatever's going on in your life. And I think it's just, yeah. I mean, the music coupled, of course, with your voice is just phenomenal. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate really, that. really great. So let's, like you said, you—you kind of got it around '96 was when you started to really get the band together. Tell us a little bit about um, how did you come up with the name Raw? Well, it's the, actually uh, funny. Band? We had a we, we had a terrible name uh, prior just <laughs> prior to that from like '94 to '97. We had okay. a name. The, the band was called Cross of Snow, and I, I liked the name in what it meant. It of course was a terrible name because it's just hard to say. But um, right. I, I liked what it meant because it was kind of like false faith. And in, in, in there's a famous book called Cross of Snow, and, and the whole logic behind the book is that you can't have you can't have faith in a cross of snow because it melts. So it's like mm-hmm. the whole thing of like false faith and what real faith is and all that stuff. And I wasn't particularly religious in that regard, but I just liked the way mm-hmm. it it was. But when we um, we a friend of ours who actually was a drummer in the band at one point actually worked uh, at a label called Adel America, which was a, a, a division mm-hmm. of Sony but it was owned by a German company. He um, he had an opportunity to do a, a song for a movie, which was the sequel, let's say, or a prequel or a remake of the movie Carrie. Right. And it was called Carrie the Rage. And it was a pretty bad movie, but we had the end title uh, with a song called um, Bring Me the Rage, but it was really called Crazy Little Voices. Right. And, it's um, a great trap. And, you know, it was one of the first songs we ever had released commercially, um, but literally, I was getting on the plane to go to Los Angeles from New York in order to get it mastered and to change the parts to fit the movie. And the guy said, "Look, I've got, I need a name." And I didn't, w- you know, he didn't want us to use Cross of Snow. And I had a thing, uh, as I said before, my my idol was Sting. So I um, I really thought, you know, he had a tendency to. Uh, to um, write songs about the moon. You know, he has Walking on the Moon, and My Moon over Bourbon Street, and Sister Moon. He has all these songs where he references the moon. So in my <laughs> eternal creativity, I decided, well, I'm going to write songs about the sun. So right. I decided I was going to write a whole bunch of songs and always mention the sun in them. And then when we needed the name, I was actually at the dinner with a girl that was a friend of mine, and I had gone through a whole bunch of names, and I was like, well, what do you think of just the Egyptian sun god Ra? 
And she was like, wow, you should just use that. And I was like, I don't know. It seems a little dramatic. And she was like, well, isn't that, is that a bad thing? And I was like, I guess not. So I called the guy back, and I was like, yeah, just use raw. We'll just go with that. So that was the awesome. that was it wasn't it was definitely within like ten minutes of being asked what to name the band we just decided to call it that and then after a while I realized that it was kind of an awesome name because it was so short and kind of like you know I, I fully expected to get a phone call back saying oh well there's like nine bands called Ra you can't be called Ra blah 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 but that's not the case so it um it actually worked out pretty good. That's awesome. No, thanks for the story. Really cool. It's cool to get the background and get some information about how you guys come to the, you know, decisions you make with band names and album titles and all that stuff. So I think I think you brought up an interesting point when you were talking about Edo or Adele, the the label that you were signing with. Because you talked about that a little bit as you're talking about the Carrie movie and getting the song in it. Why don't you use that to kind of transition to you signing with them and then, unfortunately, some of the you know challenges that came along with the label and their closing shop shortly after, you know, yeah, I mean, we've, getting ready we've to... had, we've had a lot of good luck. We've had a lot of bad luck. I mean, one of the things that was definitely difficult um, with the deal with Adel was is that they had, you know, they were funded by Sony here in the States, but they were owned by mm-hmm. a company in Germany. And the company in Germany wasn't particularly obsessed with being successful in the States. So the idea here was, you know, how do we convince them to spend money on us? And they made this big commitment, but then shortly after they announced that they were going to close the American subsidiary, and we were kind of like, um, yeah. you know, we were kind of like taken, taken, put in a situation where we had this record, which was a pretty good record, but we had nobody to, um, we had nobody to put it out. So. Right. Yeah, that was roughly 2000, and then from mm-hmm. 2000 to 2001 was kind of like this reorganizational period where we were trying to figure out what to do, and uh, during that period of time, we had some personnel changes and all that stuff, and then, of course, 9-11 comes, and it kind of just derails, you know, the whole world, you know, so we're sure. in a situation, you know, not to sound insensitive in any way, shape, or form, I actually... Right probably one of the most difficult days of my life because I, uh, at the time I was living in, in Weehawken, New Jersey. And from my perspective, I, I was out on the street on, 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 J, on JFK Boulevard and I actually watched the towers come down in real time. Wow. It was kind of a, it's one of those things oh you'll never gosh. get out of your head. But, sure. um, you know, after that happened and the market crashed and everything went crazy, you know, labels weren't signing any bands, they weren't doing anything. So we were kind of in a in a holding pattern. I didn't even know whether I was going to be able to continue music at all at that point. Um, and God, real quick, Sahaj, real quick, when you say we, was it all the band members? Was it PJ and Ben and, and Suda no, at that time? Uh, or PJ was it and different? Ben, PJ and yeah, PJ and Ben weren't in the band yet. At that point, um, me and Scooter uh, actually had been working together since 96, uh, doing, right. you know, different permutations of the band. I mean, me and Scooter were in it for a long time. Um, and basically, in 2001, after, you know, after all of that went down, there really was no, there was no activity. So we just kind of like sat back and I started working on songs and I'd realized that I, I wanted the band to go to a, in a slightly different direction. So what we... Uh, but I was just—I was kind of living in a cave, working on different ideas while I had a job selling Hondas. You know, I mean, I was definitely not not living the life I wanted to be living at that point. Um, right. But you know, we, we we gathered up our strength and we went and 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 I put an ad on the internet and uh, uh, you know saying I needed a guitar player who could play seven string, 
and thing, and who was you know and had a decent look and all of a sudden i get this email back from this guy ben carroll and he comes and drives all the way down he's flat broke has no money but he's like totally you know like down for whatever it is that we have to do and i'm like okay cool so nice. ben really is the uh ben is really the uh the connection to our new england success because through ben we were able to play um the nemo convention and were able to connect with a really good friend of his named Jimmy Garrity, who happened to be good friends with uh, a DJ on WAAF named Mistress Carrie. And she took an interest in the band and started playing uh, our music and, and played Do You Call My Name on the air a few times and got a really good reaction, in which case it was just one of those like sparks that set off the flame. And, and after that, everything kind of just took off. That's awesome. That's amazing. So after that starts to take off, that's when you're catching the attention of Universal Records? Well, it, well, the funny thing is, in, in March of 2002, I go into Avery mm-hmm. Lipman's office and I play him Do You Call My Name and a couple of other songs, and he kind of looks at me and he says, oh, yeah, it's pretty good, blah, blah, blah. I leave. He calls my manager and is like, yeah, it sounds a little dated. I'm not sure. It's not for That's us, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And hey, then uh, three, Yeah, and then three months later, you know, three or four months later, it's on the air. It's the number one song on the station that's playing it. And, or four months later, and all of a sudden, you know, we're being offered a record deal by the same guy who turned me down four months earlier. You know, and and, to, and you know, and to no discredit to them, I'm I'm you know, I was happy to get a deal with the same people. I I believe in it, even to this day, I still believe Universal Republic is one of the best labels out there, primarily because. You know they're they're diverse. They they fight hard when they catch you know when they when something catches fire they tend to they fight they fight really hard. They're not afraid of doing things that are different. I mean you know between Gautier and Lord and all the things that they've been putting out lately. I'm you know I'm I'm thoroughly impressed with how they run their business and they did a great job. You know and they offered us a really good deal. And you know I think we we were in a situation where we kind of were catching the end of a wave. And unfortunately mm-hmm. for, for Ra, you know, in 2002, 2003, 2004, the whole active rock world was kind of disintegrating to the point where, you know, hard rock that, you know, when Limp Bizkit was selling millions of records and when Linkin Park was selling millions of records, it, it, it was a different mentality at radio. You could get on pop radio with a song like, you know, In the End or something like that for Linkin Park. Nowadays... Right. It you know it became something where rock became more and more background music, more and more sports music, more and more WWE music, and less and less meaningful and less important. I mean you know with the exceptions of the occasional System of a Down or something like that, there really was nothing. There was nothing to hang your hat on that was rock that wasn't just kind of like pop songs with heavy guitars behind them. And that's you right. know that's been my argument for a long time that I feel like. Rock has lost its roots in that regard, and that's why the market has become so small. But anyway, long story short, um, you know we had big, we had uh, we had two fairly large record deals back to back, and you know you think that's a great thing, but when the record company is panicking because they're losing money on other things, the last thing they want is to have to spend a whole bunch of promotion money on top of spending a million dollars on albums. So. Right. It's wow. a very difficult thing, you know, had we taken, had we used, if we just said, hey, take half of our advance and put it towards promotion and marketing, I believe we would have been a different, 
you know, we would have been in a different situation. We would have been a top ten band all the time. But because they really didn't, it was very hard to, for them to imagine us digging out of our hole. I think it was very hard for, for them to be like, well, we're going to spend an additional million dollars to break you guys, when especially when the market share was getting smaller and smaller. So I think uh, that was a big lesson that we learned and you know it is what it is i'm not i used to be angry about it i used to look at them and be like why didn't you believe in us more but you know it's right you can't you can't you can't argue with that you know it's just the way it is and you know I, i know for a fact that the money that they had already spent on us by the time 10 years came out with their bigger single and you know their single was huge that year 2004 2005 something like that Mm -hmm. and they had spent a, a tenth, uh, not a tenth, but they had spent at least a third on that band that they had spent on us. So they could they could rationalize pushing that band to number one and still making money, whereas trying to push a band like us to number one after we'd only sold three hundred thousand records, it's just it's just too much work. And I get it, you know, it is what it is. But by the same token, I think we, you know, as as a producer, I was still learning and growing. Um, and I was trying to make music the way that I saw it as opposed to making music the way that I saw it with the understanding of what's going on in the marketplace, which is something that I've slowly grown into and learned how to do better now. Right, right. Wow. I mean, no, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it's just an unbelievable journey that you guys have went through, and I know, like you're saying, you've learned stuff over the years, but again, you guys are just such a phenomenal band, and, you know, you truly have, you know, overcome so many challenges along the way like you said with the good and the bad things have just you know happened for you guys along the way so let's do this why don't we talk a little bit about super mega dubstep then we're going to come back talk about duality and a few of the other things and then we can fast forward to critical mass which we're going to really be you know talking about during the rest of the interview so tell us about this track and you know why did you choose this as the first one because personally i wouldn't even know which one to choose because they're just seriously and i'm not just saying that they're just all so good. I mean, Running Blind is amazing and beautiful, and the voices in my head, they're just all amazing. So tell us about this one. I think, you know, being able to check the airplay charts was probably, you know, the big impetus in choosing this particular song. You know, I noticed that the songs that were on active rock radio were getting heavier. I noticed that the songs mm-hmm. were fairly high energy, and I noticed that there was you know, a little bit of an edginess that necessarily really wasn't synonymous with raw. So I figured why not try and fit in in a, you know, still keeping our sound, still keeping the way that I approach things, but I just felt like why not be smart about it and try and deliver something that, uh, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, there are a bunch of bands that I won't mention that have been around (laughs) for 10 or 12 years, and every time they put out a record, it sounds like the same record. And exactly. I'm, you know, I, I don't get upset about it. I'm not particularly impressed by it, and I understand that they just want to tap into their audience and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't see myself being that guy. I don't ever want to be, you know. I could have put out Awake as a single, which is very much kind of like the classic raw sound to a degree, and mm-hmm. then be like, okay, well there it is. There's the same old sound. We would have found the same old people that we had before. But I felt like. Why not get a song that's a little bit edgier, a little bit crazier, give it a title that everyone is either going to love or hate, and then <laughs> you know go ahead and and try and and try and reinvent, not even reinvent, but just you know be be relevant in putting it out as opposed to just saying okay I'm going to put out the same old Arabic thing, the same old 
you know, there's plenty of that stuff on the record, but it's just I didn't want to put something that everybody was expecting from us. So something that right. was four on the floor and kind of hard and heavy and, you know, and the dubstep part in the middle, I just wanted to make people understand that we're not, you know, we may be older, but we I don't listen to music that way. Right. Cool. Very cool. All right, so let's do this. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to check this song out, and then we'll come back and talk about a little bit about the, some of the other albums you have, and then we'll get into uh, Critical Mass, right? Awesome. Okay, thanks, Sahaj. Hold on. All right, everyone, again, you are listening to Sahaj from the alternative metal band Raw. We're going to feature right now Super Mega Dubstep, which is an awesome single. It's currently out as the single off of the album Critical Mass. So let's check it out, and we'll be back in a moment.
right, everyone, welcome back again. Super mega dubstep, amazing single by Raw. So please check out the album. It's coming out October 15th. It is titled Critical Mass, and you can go to their website, rawband.net. Also, uh, become a fan of them on Facebook at the Raw official fan page. And uh, we will have Sahaj at the end of the show plug Twitter and any other social media pages he wants to uh, fill you in on. All right, let's bring him back on. Hello. All right, Sahaj. <clears throat> Amazing track. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Love it, I like love it. it. Energy. <laughs> Definitely. And I like your your theory, the way you looked at it in terms of, like you said, you could have just picked something that was, again, more of a traditional sound of you guys, but you decided to kind of take it from a different angle, bring in potentially a different crowd, too, in addition to the fans that you already have. And I think that's a cool thing when people are interested in taking a little bit of a different road. And not, like you said, kind of reinventing the wheel each time. Well, I'm, you know, I, I, I've realized through the process of making this record that I genuinely like hard rock, genuinely like, you know, the tradition of metal. I just feel every time that I hear something on the radio, it just seems very, it's it's either dumbed down or it's the lowest common denominator. And I just feel like, people aren't trying anymore. I mean, even even as recently as System of a Down, I just felt like there was, you know, with them, they, they, they were struggling with creativity. They were fighting to make things different. They fought each other because they wanted things to be, a, a, you know, a direct expression of who, the, who it was, you know. I, I don't feel that anymore with most bands. I don't feel like right. there's mystery anymore. I feel like everything I hear, I've heard a couple of hundred times, and I don't really feel like anybody's taking any risks at least with the stuff that gets played on the radio. Now, that could be the fault of the radio programmers picking songs that are, you know, safe and, and all that other stuff, but mm-hmm. I have a feeling it has more to do with which bands the, the labels are picking to push. And I think that, the, you know, it's their, it's their fear of being even slightly different that makes it, um, it, makes it almost impossible for, for hard rock to, to get the, 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 the push that it, it should at times, you know. But by the same token, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of indie bands and alternative bands and pop bands, and there's a lot of creativity in that stuff. I'm, I, as much as you know, people get mad at pop songs. I, I find that now when you can listen to a pop, listen to a pop station, and you can hear the Lumineers, Katy Perry, Katy Perry, Capital City, and all these different weird bands all on one right. station. I, I, I'm more excited by that than listening to you know the same five bands that all sound like basically some permutation of Nickelback and or Metallica and or Seven Dust, you know? Right, right. Okay. Well, I saw saw the the message you sent me, so why don't we do this? Let's, um, because like I said, I could interview you forever, but I, uh, (laughs) let's fast forward a little bit and talk uh, about Critical Mass. Um, So tell us a little bit about this album, and please also introduce the band members, just give these guys plugs, because Everyone's Absolutely. such a phenomenal musician, so do that, and then we'll talk about Critical Mass. Yeah, I mean, the, the the joy of this album was being able to get the original members back in the studio. You know, I mean, I having Scooter play on this record, having, you know, Ben has been in it the entire time. PJ's been in mm-hmm. it basically six months after we got a record deal. So, I, you know, for me, having Scooter play on this album was, was half of the joy of making it. He's such a great drummer. We have such a clear kind of like artistic connection that it's just beautiful to be able to make this record because 
I feel as if I was able to unleash him a little bit because on the other albums that he played on, you know, being from one where I played half the drums on that record and then Duality mm-hmm. where we were kind of under we were under scrutiny from the label in such a heavy way that it was very restrictive. So now you know, to be able to make this record and just say, go crazy. Like, I was pushing him to play parts he didn't even want to play. And it was one <laughs> of those things where, you know, the end result I knew was going to have this kind of, like, level of intensity that I've always wanted a raw record to have but hasn't been able to do. So, you know, in making this record, I wanted to, you know, I changed the guitar tones a little bit. I changed the way I sing. I used different vocal mic. I used a different drum approach. I used a different, you know, there's so many things that I tried to update as, as far as the way that I wanted the album to feel. I was less, right. you know, I, I'm doing everything in my home studio, so I'm not expecting to wow. compete with million-dollar studios. But I wanted it to feel very, very intense and feel like, even in the lighter songs, even in Ecstasy and, and Won't Go Home, I wanted there to be... Mm-hmm a thickness and an intensity to to the to the performances that really you know I wasn't able to achieve on some of the other albums or maybe I had achieved them but I hadn't really achieved them consistently so I wanted to do that on this record I mean this is this is the first record that we didn't put a flat out ballad on you know and I and I did that consciously I didn't want I wanted people to hear primarily just like intensity from beginning to end I didn't want to just do something because we'd done it before, you know. So right. when constructing the songs, you know, I, I I I went about the whole Arabic metal thing too in a different way. I wasn't afraid to do it. I felt like it fit nicely. I wasn't, you know, because there's there's at least four, maybe five songs on the record that have that flavor. But yeah. for me, which is far more than any other raw record, but for me, I felt comfortable with it. I felt expressive with it. I didn't feel like I was doing it to be gimmicky, and I didn't feel like mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, consciously trying to avoid it either. It was just what came out. And so, from a creative standpoint, this album is very satisfying. It's also very, you know, um, it was an enormous amount of work. And and you know, the the, the Kickstarter that we did to fund it you know was really more than just a, an infusion of money it was it was a it was a genuine request from our fans to you know that they wanted more music they wanted it enough to give us that much money so i awesome. i didn't take that lightly when writing the music i really wanted to try and, and achieve something that i felt strongly about so i know that there's you know i mean we're still not the heaviest band in the world and we're still not the the most creative and artistic universe band in the world but we but you know i feel really strongly with with the performances and i really felt like i gave it my all vocally to even give you know to take it one step further than it had ever been taken before definitely now did you when you say when you compose the music do you do all of it or does someone for example does you know, Scooter come up with something on the drums and then that will lead to something else? Or do you literally put, like, the guitar tracks or the vocal melodies together and then you use that to kind of construct the rest of the song? Like, what do you guys... I mean, the process for this album, believe it or not, is probably more co-writes than ever before. But the but the truth okay. is, is that the co-writes are not within the band per se. You know, most of the okay. co-writes, I actually had, you know, I've been working here in L.A. and I've developed relationships with other people that are great writers. So I pulled some people in just to get some different nice. flavor and to get some some ideas and, and different things. And, you know, Brutiful is one of the results of a friend of mine and I sitting here in a room and having a good time and just kind of like picking out metal things that we thought were fun and Right. You know, there's 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 definitely some co-writes on the album, but I think that at the end of the day, I mean, it's still you know, Ra has always kind of been 
you know, my artistic vision with the interpretation of, of or the inclusion of everyone else. So when Scooter came, he definitely added elements to it that were amazing. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was able to bring things to it that no one else, you know, could bring to it. And when Ben, you know, in, when we put all of Ben's guitar solos in, I realized how much I love his playing and how much fun it was to have him play on that stuff. And PJ, of course, you know, has, right. you know, without... Without PJ, you know, the, the, the style of bass playing and his whole flavor and the whole thing and, and just the personality that he brings to everything is very, 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 like, it's just rock solid. And, and I was very happy that we were able to get everybody on the album and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we have an accompanying acoustic EP in which Ben and PJ actually sing a little bit on it. So there's a little bit more of that. That'll that'll be coming out soon, too. But um, cool. for the most part, I'm very excited and happy with the album. Definitely. Now, just one last and one last couple of questions. Did you mix the whole album this, yourself too? Yeah, the, the, the entire album. Wow. I mean, you know, I did the same thing with uh, Duality. I mixed eighty percent right. of uh, Black Sun. I did completely at home, and I did this one completely at home as well. Wow. So producing it, mixing it, and then mastering it. Did you send it out, or did you actually do I that? I sent too? it out to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I sent okay. it out to a friend who I who I use all the time, is Paul Logan. Nice. He's awesome. Wow. Well, again, you when you have a great producer slash mixer slash songwriter, you can do it in a home studio. People always say that you know you need to go to these huge places to get the great sound, but I mean your album totally you know demonstrates that you don't need to do that. So yeah, it's, I mean I do have some amazing. good stuff here, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it definitely helps. Oh, I'm sure but, you do. Right. But nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, you know you can make a great record at home. Right. Right, with the right things, like you're saying, the right ingredients, you can do it. Um, so tell us real quick, I'm going to play Awake, but I'll let you go because I know you have things to do. Tell us a little bit about yourself when you're not doing music. What is something you like to do? What are you interested in? Do you have any hobbies? or you know, just no, share I a little Literally, bit I, only have, I only have one hobby, and it's Formula One racing. I'm pretty much obsessed really? with it. So, yeah, I know everything wow. about it. I'm, like, completely obsessed with it. But um, other than that, I really don't, I, you know, I try and spend as much time with my wife and my dog and have a good time and stuff nice. like that. But I'm pretty much working every day, all day, so it's it's pretty crazy. But, yes, I mean, for for, for my my passion for Formula One is pretty obsessive. I mean, if I, uh, nice. if I had to, I could name every driver and every car he drives and all that <laughs> stuff. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Please, um, Sahaj, plug all of the places that people can find you at. And, again, you're always welcome to come back on again. I'd love to uh, interview even more. I mean, you guys just amazing band and such a great story so i appreciate you coming on and sharing it well great you know maybe we'll do another one once the album's out and come back up and talk and talk about it and then uh basically you know we're on uh i'm on twitter at, at sahaj tick um there's our facebook page which is the raw official facebook page i'm on facebook as well sahaj ticketon and then um you know we've got our raw official I think it's Ra the Band or at Ra the Band for our Twitter page, for Band Twitter page. Those are the easiest ways to get it. I'm always on Facebook, so definitely if you're listening and you want to say hi, just say hi. I'm always right. on it. So um, Other and than that, we have rawband.net, which is our website, mm-hmm. and uh, we can, you can buy our pre-orders and things like that off of there. Um, and, you know, the record's going to be out, so it'll be on iTunes and Spotify and everything all on October 15th. 
cool. And any tours? Any shows coming up? Tours in the future? Yeah, we're, we're, we're playing some shows this year. We have a couple of shows um, in November, but mostly uh, we're saving we're saving anything more sizable for for January, February, just because we want to make sure that we have enough time for people to get to have the album and, and get get the songs in their head. Because we'd love to do some of the new stuff live and not be playing. Right. Hey, we're gonna play you a song you never heard before. So right. <laughs> Great. Well, I wish you much continued success. It's an amazing album. I'm, I'm going to close tonight with uh, Awake, and I want to thank Eric Baker from uh, Major Label Management, uh, who set up the interview and everything tonight. So uh, he said Awake was one of the other tracks that was going to be pushed a little bit. So it's a great track, yeah, so I'm awesome. going to play with that. Thank, you. All thank right. you so much for the interview. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for coming on, and much success with the new album. Okay. Take care. All right, bye. bye. Thank you. All right, everyone. Again, that was Sahaj from Raw, and uh, the new album, Critical Mass, will be coming out October 15th, so make sure you definitely check out the album and pick up a copy of it. Like I said, I'm going to close the show tonight with Awake. It's another song off the album. It's a great track, and 13 tracks on this album, and everyone is just really cool, and as, as Sahaj says, they integrate so many different influences and styles and dynamics, so check out this new album again, October 15th, Critical Mass. Before I play that, just want to do a couple of quick plugs. Uh, check out talentspotlightmagazine.net. It is an online magazine that does really thorough, comprehensive interviews with musicians and artists and uh, filmmakers, so uh, check them out. And also want to do a plug for Davin's Den. And Davin's Den is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Hewitt. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, then Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern to watch live episodes, hear or watch old episodes, or find out more about the show, go to Davin's Den page on davincomedy.com, and that is D-A-V-I-N-Comedy.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. Also, I have two personal pages on Facebook. Find the one that's not maxed out. I love to keep in touch with people. And uh, become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show for upcoming shows, events, and much more. So later this month, we have Don Jameson from VH1's That Metal Show coming on. And he'll be coming on, I think it is the 21st, the Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Next week, we have Richard Sergiovanni, who is the creator of the children's animated rock and roll TV show, which is titled The Grimp. So he will be on next Monday, the 14th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern, and then we have tons of other bands coming up. I Smile Empty Soul, probably going to be coming on sometime in November. So, again, please become a fan of The Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook and check out all the podcasts for all these amazing guests that I've had the honor to interview and support. All right, so let's close the show now with Awake, and as I said, we'll be back next Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you tuned in late to the show, you can uh, check out the podcast, download it, and stream it after it's over. Thanks, and have a great night. Here's Awake. Check it out.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.